Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am Hayden Grove, joined, as always, by our Cavaliers beat reporter, Mr. Chris Fedor. And, Chris, there hasn't really been much that's happened over the last week, huh? <laughs> no, not at all. What are you talking about? Yeah, nothing, right? <laughs> Obviously, we're being facetious. The Cavaliers uh, select Evan Mobley with the number three pick overall in the NBA draft. And before they did that, uh, the Cavaliers trade Torian Prince for Ricky Rubio. So Cleveland definitely gets their backup point guard. Um, we're going to get into a lot today. And uh, I just think we should start with Evan Mobley just because, again, that's the piece that we've been talking about for so long for this Cavaliers team is is this draft pick, you know, the the guy that you're going to build around. Chris, what have your first impressions been? Or what were your, let's start here. What were your impressions around, you know, why they felt like he was the right pick for the Cavaliers? I just think at the end of the day, Hayden, where they were in the third spot, um, they were sitting in position to get what they believe is going to be a franchise-changing talent. So Evan Mobley is a modern-day do-it-all power forward with incredible defensive versatility and movement skills for a seven-footer. He can do backflips like Simone Biles at seven feet tall. Think about that. (laughs) Um, I talked to his high school coach who said that You know, when he was in high school and they were doing movement and dribbling and speed and agility drills, he was outperforming some of the guards at near seven feet tall. So it's just like the seven footers in NBA history that move similar to this guy and play similar to this guy, Hayden, are guys like Kevin Durant and Giannis and Kevin Garnett and and Chris Bosh and Anthony Davis. So... The ability is there for him if he reaches all of his potential to be, you know, one of one, to be a guy who uh, fits perfectly in the modern day era, Um, to be a guy who changes the trajectory of the Cavs franchise. So at the end of the day, that's what they were looking for in this year's draft. And they had an opportunity to get that kind of player. And even though they also had opportunities Uh, to trade back out of the number three spot, including some right down to the final seconds. Um, They ultimately decided, as general manager Kobe Altman said with us following the draft that night, um, there was no package that they were offered from a team in a trade that came with somebody the caliber of Evan Mobley or came with Evan Mobley. And we talked to Chad Ford about this, Hayden, going into the draft. At one point, it did seem like there were you know, four guys in the top tier of this year's class with Cade Cunningham, Jalen Green, Jalen Suggs, and Evan Mobley. But as the draft got closer and closer and closer, I think uh, the belief around the league is that Suggs wasn't in that class. Um, He wasn't in that particular tier. So um, number three essentially was like a line of demarcation for the quote-unquote drop-off with this year's class and the Cavs weren't willing to move out of that spot. And and why would they? Right. You no, know, like, the, the ceiling is very high for, um, for Evan Mobley. I think the concern, I mean, not even a concern, but I think that the general question is the fit, right? Sure. Um, you know, with Jared Allen being a restricted free agent now, Larry Nance Jr. Um, you know, the fit there with the kind of the bigs that they have, um, but I think the way that he plays is a little different, right? I mean, that's that's going to yeah. be the kind of the, the factor that's going to make this thing all work. 
I think the way that I wrote it, Hayden, and the way that I look at it is this. It's not ideal. I think we can all admit that. They have a bunch of money committed to Kevin Love and Larry Nance Jr. They're about to commit a bunch more money to Jared Allen. So this is a relatively crowded front court, um, depending on how you view the situation with Kevin Love. So it's not ideal, but it's not something that's untenable. You can make it work. Evan Mobley can play with Larry Nance Jr. or without Larry Nance Jr. I think Mobley can play with or without Kevin Love. I think he can play with or without Jared Allen. So I think initially what you're going to see is Mobley likely start at the power forward spot or play a bulk of his minutes at least at the power forward spot. And then in certain matchups, in certain lineups, he'll be some variation of the backup five. I don't think they're going to overdo it with him at the five spot because physically he's not there yet. He's got to get stronger. Um, and I think early on in his career, you don't want him taking that level of physicality for some uh, against some of these, you know, bulkier centers. But the option is there to play him at the five, at the center spot, depending on the lineup and depending on the matchup. So it's it's fine enough because um, coming into this year, no matter what happens with Kevin Love, if he's going to be on this roster, Hayden, the belief is that they're going to minimize his role. And that was going to be the case coming into this year, even if they didn't add Evan Mobley. So there are 48 minutes in a basketball game. There is enough time for Larry Nance Jr. to play you know, somewhere between, let's say, 24 and 28. Uh, there's enough time for Evan Mobley to play, you know, between 28 and 32. And, and the same thing when it goes to Jared Allen, maybe a little bit north of that as well. So it's not ideal given the way that their roster sets up, but it's not untenable. And it was never to a point where, okay, because we're about to sign Jared Allen and because we have this money committed in these other two guys, well, then we're going to go with Jalen Suggs or we're going to go with Jonathan Kaminga or we're going to go with like Josh Giddy or something along those lines. And here's the other thing, too, Hayden, when you think about it. So let's say you wanted somebody for the Cavs that was a quote unquote better fit at number three. <laughs> Who was that? Right. Because it certainly wasn't Jalen Suggs. That's right. He's he's not a better fit, given what. Um, the roster looks like heading into this offseason or this free agency period, I should say. Um, I mean, Jonathan Kaminga, maybe you could argue would be a better fit. Maybe. Um, but it's not like there was that standout guy, that two-way wing that was staring them in the face at number three. Um, that would have been an obvious better fit than Evan Mobley. So... Um, when you talk about Mobley's talent level and the fit isn't a disaster, it just made all the sense in the world for them to go that way. Well, we've talked about this, um, you know, for the Cavaliers, it's still, I mean, we kind of, we kind of discussed this. It's still not even about fit. You just got to get the guy, like, you know, you got to get the guy, you got to get, yep. get that player to build around. It wasn't really about fit. And that's why Mobley is here. Uh, because again, it's not about fit. It's about the talent and, I guess my 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 question too, I guess more so than even like the front court, is like, 
you know, the way that Colin plays, the way mm-hmm. that D- Darius Garland plays, how do you think that they want or how will Evan Mobley play? Like, what do you think his role will kind of be in the offense? Because, again, you know, with Colin, with Darius. I think that's a really good question. J.B. Vickerstaff mentioned a lot of this the day after they drafted Mobley and they had their introductory press conference. He mentioned them playing him in space, using his speed and his quickness. They mentioned him being a ball handler at times in certain pick and rolls, or at least he can be an offensive hub at the elbow, in the post, um, whether it be the low post, mid post, high post. I think, Caden, they're going to explore a variety of different ways to use him. And I think that's one of the great things about Evan Mobley. You cannot pigeonhole him. You can't pigeonhole him into being a five, right? You can't pigeonhole him into only be a a defensive-minded player because he's much more than all of those things. Um, And the same thing goes on offense. You can't just make him a roller or a lob threat because that's not using him the best way and maximizing all of the many gifts that he has. So they're going to use him in the dunker spot. They're going to use him as a roller. They're going to use him as a popper. They're going to use him in the low post, the mid post, the high post. They're going to use him at the elbow. They're going to use him in DHOs, dribble handoffs. They're going to use him in double drags. Um, They're going to use him a variety of ways. You know why? Because he can do a lot of different things. Yeah. And that level of versatility is so rare. And it's not just on the defensive end because so many people talk about how great he can be defensively in terms of versatility, in terms of dropping in the pick and roll, in terms of being a weak side defender, in terms of switching on to smaller guards and trying to stay in front of them. But that versatility carries over to the offensive end of the floor because this is a guy with guard skills. Because he grew up playing guard. He grew up being taught how to play guard. Um, and now he just blossomed into the seven-footer. So that, to me, is one of the most exciting things about Evan Mobley, is exploring the many different ways um, that he can help a team at both ends of the floor. And for J.P. Bickerstaff, this gives him a bunch of different lineup combinations that he can explore. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely fascinating. You, you're right, a one-of-one player, like, that's that means that you know it's literally something we haven't seen before and something that's going to be completely different. So exciting in that way. Um, defensively, Chris, I mean, what can you expect in terms of of how he's going to fit? Um, Jared Allen, one of the best you know shot blockers in the league, and I think that'll help Evan a lot. Yeah, I think so too. Um, look, I mean, this is a bad defense. I think we can admit that, right? But. If they're going to have a fighting chance on that end of the floor, Hayden, it's about trying to find as many, quote unquote, plus defenders as you possibly can and putting those plus defenders around Darius Garland and Colin Sexton and undersized backcourt that's going to have defensive limitations on a nightly basis. That's the best way. It's probably the only way. And what you can say about Evan Mobley is that he's got the tools to be a plus defender. You can say the same thing about Isaac Okoro and and Larry Nance Jr. and Jared Allen. So they're starting to try and find the pieces to go around the undersized backcourt to at least have a fighting chance on the defensive end of the floor. Like Mobley coming here, Hayden, 
it's not going to take a defense that is near the bottom of the NBA and all of a sudden lifted into the top 10. Not right. as a rookie. Not as a rookie. Like I said, he's got to get physically stronger. He's got to gain more experience. He's got to become more mature. This is a 20-year-old kid that we're talking about. So those things you think are eventually going to come. Um, I think eventually he's got defensive player of the year potential. There's a reason why the the USC defense was ranked top 10 in in all of, all of college basketball in efficiency last year. It's because of him. It's because of the ways that they could use him and the paint that he could protect. Um, there's also a reason, Hayden, why they were the number one defense, USC, and they weren't loaded with talent by any means, but they were the number one defense in the NBA in terms of um, opponent's percentage on two-point attempts. That's Evan Mobley. That's yep. this kind of presence that he has around the rim in the paint. Um, so putting him with Jared Allen in a lineup together, like even if teams break down Darius Garland and Colin Sexton off the dribble, now that last line of defense is, you know, guys with, defensive skills, um, guys with rim protection ability, guys that have the ability to be more imposing um, and they can, you know, block off the paint in a different kind of way than if Kevin Love was the starting power forward. With with Mobley, um, what we've talked a lot about his ceiling. You know, we talked with Chad Ford about his ceiling and Chad, that kind of got, you know, put out there. You know, Evan or Anthony Davis slash uh, <laughs> Chris Bosh slash Chris Bosh. Right. I mean, that, that, you know, that would be that's something that's the ceiling. But I mean, does he have a high, he's got to have a pretty high floor. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing. His floor <laughs> in some ways, his floor is. Something similar to Larry Nance Jr., something similar to Jaron Jackson Jr., you know, we're talking on the high end, if the offensive game comes, if the perimeter game becomes more reliable from a shooting standpoint. But at worst, if we're talking about it that way, um, he's a versatile defender who can block shots, but also switch on to smaller guards in a switch heavy scheme or play drop coverage. Um, or be a really, really smart, instinctive, athletic, weak side defender. And that's something that, you know, every team in this era needs, especially when it comes to the Cavs. I think that's, I think that's the floor, is that kind of um, chess piece on the defensive end of the floor. Because to me, like that part of his skill set is more ready right now in the NBA. It's more of like the offense related things um, beyond the passing that uh, obviously still needs to come for Mobley. Like he doesn't have a go to post up move, right? He doesn't have a go to thing on the offensive end where you like, okay, this is how he's going to score, you know, 15 to 20 a night. It's going to be, if, if that's the case, if he's going to score like 15 to 20 a night. It's probably going to be on lobs from Darius Garland or putbacks or, you know, um, 
opportunities from the dunker spot or, or things along those lines, if that makes sense. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. Um, I, I'm just fascinated to see what it's going to look like. You know, I'm fascinated to see what what is going to what the starting lineup is going to be, how, you know, how much these guys play together. Um, I'm fascinated to see because, again, this is the piece. This is the piece that the Cavaliers need to build around. And, um, you know, if it doesn't work out, then it's not definitely not a good thing. And, uh, you know, we could talk be talking about a much longer rebuild and, you know, potentially guys losing their jobs. So um, definitely fascinated to see what Evan Mobley brings. He seems like a great kid, too. I mean, I wasn't at the press conference. You know, Brown's camp is mm-hmm. busy. But um, how what are your impressions of him as just as a kid and a locker room presence and all that good stuff? So everything that I had heard about him leading up to the NBA draft uh, came true when I talked to him for the very first time. Yeah. Quiet, reserved, but super confident. He believes in himself. Yeah. He and got to. The, the other thing that, that I had heard around draft time was, and this came from a coach with USA Basketball, this came from a scout, and this came from Andy Enfield. USC's head coach. So these people have been around Evan. They've seen him. They've worked with him. They know him relatively well. Um, Don't mistake his quietness um, for a lack of dog or a lack of competitiveness. Like this dude wants to win every drill in practice. This dude lifted USC into the Elite Eight for the second time in 20 years. Uh, This dude got way better from 16 then 17 then to 18 then to 19 if you don't have that competitiveness if you don't have that drive if you don't have that quote-unquote dog you're probably not going to improve at the rate that evan mobley improved and it wasn't just because he got taller it's like other areas of his game were improved because he worked at it um i talked to andy enfield who said You know, at the end of the year, at the end of college basketball year, they were trying to take him out of certain drills, take him out of scrimmages and just allow him to have more rest and recovery, gearing up for a conference tournament play, the NCAA tournament play. And it's like he wouldn't let Enfield take him out of those drills because he wanted to participate in everything. He wanted to set the tone that he was going to do everything. He was always going to be out there. His teammates would see him arrive early and stay late and things along those lines. And I think, again, sometimes you you look at quiet guys and you make some kind of a declaration about uh, their competitiveness or their personality or things along those lines. But, you know, everybody shows it a different kind of way when it comes to leadership skills and uh, toughness and competitiveness. So even though he's very chill, he's like California chill, laid back. Um he still has that drive. It's just he doesn't demonstratively show it the way that some other guys do. Sure, sure. Everybody has a different style. Everybody has a different way. And obviously, he seems like, you know, I don't think you get to that level um, if you don't have some sort of drive, some sort of dog. So um, definitely, like I said, just excited to see him. I mean, you know, my mind with USC immediately goes to Kevin Porter Jr. And, you know, that was more of an off-the-court thing than an on-the-court thing. So uh, you, you mean another number four from USC? <laughs> yeah, well, that's the whole point is that, you know, I, with Kevin Porter Jr. on the court, everything is looking very up, you know. Um, but the, the problem's kind of, you know, with with Kevin Porter Jr. off the court. But um, yep. 
certainly the Cavaliers would hope to have the same kind of on the court production with the very, very different off the court, you know, demeanor uh, from Evan Mobley. So it's exciting to think about. And before that draft, um, it was kind of surprising. I mean, I guess uh, maybe not surprising. I just Ricky Rubio coming to Cleveland for Torian Prince. And we've talked a lot about um, we've talked a lot about the backup point guard position. And I think the Cavaliers got a massive improvement from mm-hmm. Delhi. And that's nothing against Delhi. It's just I think that Ricky Rubio, you know, gives them a little more in pretty much every way than Delhi would in that in that backup point guard role. It's if you think back to last year's team, Hayden, among the reasons why um, they finished 22 and 50 near the top of that list is the fact that they played last year without a backup point guard. Colin Sexton is not a backup point guard. He's not somebody who is going to consistently run the offense and consistently make good decisions. Um, He has gotten better as a playmaker. He has gotten better as a creator for others. Um, And he's going to get more experience and he's going to get more knowledge the longer that he plays. But Ricky Rubio, he's going to run your team in a way that a veteran would run your team. Mm -hmm. And that was missing last year. Mm -hmm. Think about it. And there were times that they played Isaac Okoro at point guard at the end of the season. Right. There were times where they played Damian Dotson, who is a shooting guard, who hadn't played point guard since high school. They threw him at point guard, and he had to run the team because of injuries, because of limited bodies. Now you have Ricky Rubio. He's a pro. He was born to run an NBA offense. And that is going to help uh, take some ball handling pressure off of Darius Garland and Colin Sexton. And it fixes, you know, the Cavs came into this offseason and they said, okay, we've got a list of things to do. We've got to re-sign Jared Allen um, when it comes to free agency. We've got to re-sign Jared Allen. We've got to find a capable backup ball handler. Um, We've got to figure out what we're going to do with Isaiah Hartenstein. And then we've got to figure out where we're going to use the mid-level exception, which is going to start around like $9.5 million. Um, and there are other minor things in there too, like Kevin Love trying to find a solution to minor. that if there is one. Yes, minor. it is minor. Yes, it is minor. <laughs> yeah. Because it doesn't play a huge impact on their success or failure coming okay. into this year, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, despite the constant chatter around Kevin Love and how right. long we've been talking about that. Goodness, we got to talk about that in a second. <laughs> but this this Rubio deal allows them to address um, one of their most important points this offseason, which is to get that reliable veteran ball handler. Um, so now, as free agency is set to open up here today, now they can shift their focus and their priorities in free agency to um getting some more wing depth uh, to replace now Torian Prince who is going to Minnesota in the same Ricky Rubio deal and I think at the end of the day we talked about TJ McConnell we talked about Alex Caruso campaign was out there Ish Smith was out there that was the pool of point guards that the Cavs were kind of choosing from and they also looked at some guys that could be available via trade, 
like Ricky Rubio. And everybody in the organization said, well, wait a minute. Rubio is the best option. He would be better than signing McConnell. He would be better than signing Caruso. He would be better than signing one of these other guys that that we can actually afford because we can't afford Lonzo. We can't afford Spencer Dinwiddie. We can't afford Kyle Lowry. So there's a huge drop off in the point guard market. And there are a bunch of teams looking for point guards this offseason. So it was going to be really competitive. It was going to be really compact and it was going to be really pricey. And they said, why would we pick from that pool of player when we can try and trade for somebody like Ricky Rubio, who is better than any of these options? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It did. It made a lot of sense when when the trade was announced. It definitely made a lot of sense. I mean, I don't know. You just Ricky Rubio has this kind of. um, It's just one of those things where I would have never thought he would have been a Cavalier, just kind of weirdly. But there he is, you know, Um, and look at what he's doing for Spain in the Olympics. Yeah. My man is running that team. He's shooting a high percentage. He's scoring, which is supposed to be a knock on him. He's dishing dimes. Um, and he's just running that team. Like, everything is running through Ricky Rubio. So think about that caliber player. He's not going to play like Olympic Ricky Rubio. But that caliber player running the second unit or filling in a starter at certain points. When they were without Darius Garland, Last year, they couldn't function offensively. Right Now, you're not going to completely crumble if Darius misses time, if Darius gets in foul trouble. And um, you could probably play Darius and Ricky Rubio together at certain points throughout the course of a game. And defensively, Rubio is very, very good. Right. And that's obviously a help for, for Colin and Darius. You know, and I think that, that both of them will benefit from, from just having Ricky Rubio around. Without a doubt, he's that kind of guy that that you want around your young guys. You know, that was part of the thinking for Minnesota trading for him again. If you remember, you know, he signed that big deal with the Phoenix Suns. But at the start of last year, um, Minnesota brought him back. Minnesota, the team where he started his career. Part of that was, hey, look, we want him around a young guy like Carl Anthony Towns. We want him around a young guy like Jared Culver. Um, he can show him the way he can set the tone in practice. Um, he has a great understanding of all offenses in the NBA. So he's like an extension of coaching staff from that standpoint. And he can instill that, that knowledge and that experience on a lot of these younger guys. And, and I think it's the same thing when it comes to the Cavs. on top of that, there are two more layers. Uh, one, you know, he played with Kevin Love early on in his career. Yep. So maybe possibly he can get through to Kevin and he can say things to Kevin in a way that maybe some of these other teams can't, uh, some of these other players on this team can't. Uh, And he also played for J.B. Bickerstaff when J.B. was an assistant in Minnesota. So they have a relationship as well. And head coach J.B. Bickerstaff definitely pushed for Ricky Rubio and signed off on Ricky Rubio. Well, there you go. I mean, the the Kevin Love thing is definitely kind of, interesting but I, I think he's got much bigger fish to fry with uh with colin and darius um you mentioned that you're right free agency starts today and the cavaliers certainly um looking to spend that mid-level um and you're right that obviously the cavaliers went, were going from the backup point guard spots now that you just wrote a piece today about you know how uh, their free agency priorities have shifted 
uh, from, you know, the backup point guard possibilities to, you know, wings. And you mentioned specifically in the article, Doug McDermott, Alec Burks, Kent Bazemore, Reggie Bullock. Um, you know, what could it be any of them? Could be, you know, is there any specifics or what are you hearing on that front? Look, if the Cavs had their choice and then they were just lining it up, this is our top target to our bottom target. Right. At the top of that list is Doug McDermott. Yeah. The coaches like him. The front office likes him. There's a lot to like about him. Yeah. Coming off a career season, 13.6, shot it at 40.7% from three-point range over the course of his career. He's 29 years old. Um, I think the coaching staff believes they can do a lot of different things from a movement standpoint with the offense because of somebody like McDermott. Obviously, there are questions defensively, but this is a Cavs team that was just wretched offensively, Hayden. Wretched. Uh, I think they were 28th in attempts in terms of three-pointers last year. Not good, yeah. And then 30th in percentage itself. Yeah. So, you know, they need somebody like him who can knock down those open looks that Rubio is going to create and Darius is going to create and maybe even Colin is going to create. I, I truly believe that Colin's assist numbers would be a little bit higher throughout the course of his career if, if you know, Guys there were guys shots. that were capable of making shots on the other end of those passes. <laughs> exactly. He's passing to Jetty Osman and sometimes Larry Nance Jr. And, you know, Kevin Love, who was up and down over the last couple of years when he was actually healthy. And then Damian Dotson types and stuff like that. So um, Doug McDermott would fill a great, great need for the Cavs. Um, there are some that believe that McDermott may get a little bit more than the mid-level exception. That remains to be seen, but shooters get paid. We yeah. know that in this league. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be a battle. And honestly, I think it's going to be hard for the Cavs to win that one because there are going to be other interested suitors that, that might be in a better position to win right away than the Cavs. Right. So if they overpay him, and by an overpay, I mean give him an extra year of guaranteed money, then maybe they become competitive for somebody like McDermott. I don't think that would be his top choice. I don't think he's going to choose Cleveland. But if you quote-unquote overpay, then you might, be, um, you might be more in consideration for somebody like that. Uh, Alec Burks is beloved by this organization. Sure, he was part of it, right? Well, it's not just that he was a part of it, but he was a great guy while he was here. Right. And everybody had great things to say about him while he was here. Um, I think he would understand his role the way that he understood his role in New York. I think that's really, really important when talking about this mid-level exception. These guys have to understand their role. They have to understand why they would be coming here to Cleveland. Um, part of it is going to help the young guys grow and develop. Um, maybe some nights they're not going to get 28 to 30 minutes. This is obviously going to be a high-minute player that the Cavs want because it's the full mid-level exception in some of these cases. Um, so you're not just getting that kind of guy to sit him on the bench and be a mentor. You're getting him to play, to fill a big role. But mm -hmm. some nights, if Isaac Okoro really, really has it going— or 
um, Dylan Windler gets healthy and really has it going, and he's filling it from the outside, maybe that means McDermott doesn't play as much that night or because there's a really, really difficult matchup for him on the defensive end of the floor and they need Isaac Okoro's defense or something like that. So these guys have to understand their role. That's a big part of this. And I think McDermott would. I think Burks would. I think Reggie Bullock, another name that we've talked about, I think he would. I think Ken Bazemore at this stage of his career, 32 years old, been on winning teams before, been in the postseason before. He would as well. Garrett Temple is really, really interesting because he's a veteran wing. He's a great locker room guy, and he can still play a little bit. So um, those kinds of guys make a lot of sense for the Cavs. And that, I mean, do you think it'll be something that we do find out today or we find out, you know, in the near future? Well, when it comes to free agency, Hayden, in the NBA, it is a sprint. It's not a marathon. These things right, happen exactly. really, really quick, and and the market kind of crystallizes right away. Right. Um, I think in the case of McDermott, he's arguably the best shooter that's going to be available. Emphasis on be available for a team like the Cavs, that is. Um, because for them, forget... <laughs> Forget Duncan Robinson. He's right. going to get something between 16 to 20 million a year. Forget Evan Fournier. He's looking for an $80 million contract, something annually around 20 mil. Uh, Norman Powell, forget him. DeMar DeRozan, Tim Hardaway Jr. So for them, you know, of that next tier, Doug McDermott is probably the best one. So I think he's probably going to go relatively quick. Alec Burks, I don't know. He's coming off a great year. Averaged 12 points per game, almost 13 per game. Shot at like 41% from three-point range, which is crazy because that's been a knock on him throughout his career. Um, he's viewed more as like a playmaker slasher scorer type. But for him to shoot 41% from three-point range, that was really, really promising. Um, some of these guys obviously might have to wait a little bit longer and let the market kind of play out. But I, I think in the case of Doug McDermott and Reggie Bullock and maybe even Burks because of the year that he had for New York, um, I do think these things probably are going to move really, really fast. All right. Well, we'll be on the lookout for that. And uh, that's the way before, it goes. Yeah. So before we do, before even before the training free agency starts, I want you to get on your phone or get on your computer or whatever and go to cleveland.com slash cast check the blue banner at the top of the page and sign up for chris's subtext because you're going to get the information before anyone else you're going to get it before twitter you're going to get it before it's out there so again sign up for chris's subtext 3.99 a month 14 day free trial all you got to do is go to cleveland.com slash cast and put it up or just click on that blue banner and put your phone number in and then you're going to be good to go and you're going to get all all sorts of information analysis updates and everything Cavaliers from Chris. So one more time, cleveland.com slash Cavs and click on the blue banner and uh, get that free agency info because this team is taking shape slowly but surely. It's taking shape heading into the 2021-2022 season. Um, Chris, I know, you know, we're talking a lot about the Cavs and obviously Kevin Love is still a part of the Cavs. I just wanted to touch on this because it was pretty fascinating. Um, Jerry Colangelo, who I believe is the head of USA Basketball and Cleveland has a very, very you know, big ties to USA basketball. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. We've talked about that. Kobe Altman, you know, big, big proponent of USA basketball. Um, essentially kind of came out and said Kevin Love was it was a mistake to bring him on the roster. He promised he would be in shape and he wasn't um, kind of went scorched earth on Kevin Love and Kevin Love kind of re- retorted with, you know, some kind of cryptic tweets and 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 stuff like that. Uh, what did you make of that whole situation with Kevin Love and uh, w- with Jerry Colangelo? Wow. That was something else, man. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, at the to start, I would say this. Jerry Colangelo, this is his last hurrah with USA Basketball. He's moving on. Grant Hill is going to take over. Jerry Colangelo has accomplished a ton throughout mm-hmm. his career. And he has definitely um, left an impression on the NBA and USA basketball. So because of that, it seems like he feels like he has the freedom to say whatever he wants to, unfiltered. Kind of yeah. like Phil Jackson when he went away from the NBA, he just said whatever he wanted, whatever was on his mind. I don't think it's a great look, honestly. I don't. Yeah. That Let's start there. The other thing is I know that the Cavs are pissed about it. Um. And it just, it it was unnecessary. Right. So I'll say all of those things. On top of that, and this is where the butt comes in. I wonder, Hayden, and I've been wondering this for a while, and I think we talked about this a little bit on the podcast. I think Kevin Love needs an epiphany. I think he needs, I think he needs an eye opener to the things that have gone on with him that have been really, really difficult for him, that have uh, limited him as a player, are not solely Cavs-related. Right. I think sometimes when you're in a rebuild, you can look at the situation that you're in, and you can have struggles, and you can say, well, my teammates stink. I'm in a rebuild. They're not trying to win. They're always built-in excuses when it comes to playing on a rebuilding team like the Cavs. This was the first time in quite some time where Kevin Love couldn't look at the situation and say, well, that's that's on John Beeline for not knowing what he was doing. That's on Colin Sexton because he's really, really young and he doesn't know how to play the right way yet. That's on... Um, this organization for not putting me in a situation to get the best out of me, or whatever the case may be, however he would look at it. This is really the first time where he was playing around guys that were really, really good, really, really talented in a winning environment with a great coach, and he was awful. He was awful. There were people around um, that training camp that were saying to me, he looks done. Physically shot, can't play anymore, doesn't have anything to give anymore. Hmm. And for Kevin Love, you know, this is about to be year 14. Yeah. If if he can look at the situation from USA Basketball and give an honest evaluation of who he is at this point in his career— and why he struggled with USA Basketball during that training camp, then I think it could be really good for him and the Cavs. I think it could be liberating. But there's no guarantee that he looks at it the way that that I'm talking about here. So do you think it's, I mean, you know, Jerry Colangelo basically said he wasn't in shape. I mean, does that mean, like, 
he wasn't, you know, in shape like cardiovascular wise. He wasn't like ready with the with the uh, calf. Or, I mean, what 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 do you think that kind of meant? I or think it meant, kind of, or was he just kind of throwing him under the bus, saying in general? I think it meant in physical and mental condition for what was ahead on the Olympic stage. Physical condition, in shape, conditioning wise, with his calf, maybe even a belief in his game. All of those different things. Because this wasn't, you know, a lot of times these guys, they have a routine and they know how they're going to structure their offseason. But this wasn't about, like, getting Kevin Love to training camp. You know what I mean? This was getting him to USA basketball training camp in preparation for the Olympics, in preparation to play highly competitive games against really, really talented teams that have been together for a long, long time. That's a different level of condition. That's a different level of shape that you have to be in to thrive in that kind of environment. Sure. I get it. And so you said the Cavaliers were pissed. I mean, just like in yeah. uh, about the way they treated Kevin or just in general? Well, this certainly doesn't help any kind of trade conversation. <laughs> That's true. Forgot about that. Yeah, forgot about that point. I mean, the guy who most recently watched Kevin Love play competitive basketball said that essentially he was done. Yeah. Essentially, he couldn't give us what we needed. Certainly yeah. doesn't help when you have a conversation about trading. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Do you want my do you want my whole Kevin Love thing? Sure. I'm gonna give you, yeah, I'm gonna I mean, give, that's what the podcast I, I think, is for. I don't think I've ever p- publicly said this, but I think I'll publicly say this. Okay. My whole Kevin Love thing is this. <clears throat> after he won the championship and after he, you know, came out with all of his mental health struggles, as somebody who's done the same, it's, I think for him, it was just so liberating like to not have all that, you know, all that built up pressure inside. I think he's just so much more comfortable with himself mm-hmm. that that I just don't think he cares as much about the external pressures or the external noise. And then I think when you add a huge contract onto that where he knows he's financially secure, I just don't think he's going to put the I'm not going to say adequate pressure. I'm just going to say like the maybe like the pressure to take things to the next step, if that makes any sense. Like, I think he's a professional. I think he's going to go to work. I think he's going to, you know, try to be his best. But I also don't think he's going to put it into overdrive anymore. Um, I think that was the case the minute he kind of, you know, freed himself from the uh, the darkness that comes from, you know, what he dealt with and, you know, he's still dealing with. So. That's just from my perspective what I think the situation is. And, you know, obviously injuries don't help. I mean, you know, I, I think that in, I, I'm not saying I think injuries, the injuries he's had were natural. And I think that that's, you know, something that happens to every player at some point in his career, unless you're like LeBron, you're some sort of freak. But um, I think that that's my kind of take on it is that he was so liberated from from the darkness and all the, you know, the bad things that he felt that he, you know, maybe instead of, you know, trying to work his way through it with, you know, with basketball. 
Um, I think the basketball just became kind of a thing for him to, you know, continue to work at and continue to be to to you know continue to strive for. But I just think that you know he finally found a happy place and was you know comfortable in himself. And because of that, I think he probably just didn't put as much um, expectation on himself to just you know to work the way that you know that maybe he did before because he was working through things. I could be wrong. That's mm-hmm. just my that's just my take. My maybe it's hot. Maybe it's a, a, a um, maybe it's a wrong assessment. But I mean, that's kind of what I could see happening. That's an interesting perspective. I'm glad you shared that. You can yeah. tell that Kevin is more comfortable in his own skin these days. Yes, I remember at times when he first arrived in, in 2014, he was so out of place. Right. He didn't feel like he belonged. He was staring down at the carpet doing post-game interviews. He really wouldn't talk to a lot of reporters in the locker room on side sessions and things along those lines. I think he was trying to grow into that. So I do see more of a comfort with Kevin from that standpoint. And and you might be right. I also think, Hayden, there's um, there's the natural thing that happens with Hall of Fame type players in the NBA or in any sport mm-hmm. at the tail end of their careers. Their body won't allow them to be the player that their mind thinks they should be. Sure, that too. Yep. Kevin Love's a Hall of Famer. He knows how good he was. It's hard for somebody to admit that I can't be that same player that I was. Right. I That's, can't yeah. play the same kind of game that I used to play. I can't be the same effective player that I had been at the peak of my career. There has to be something that's preventing me from being that type of player other than old age, right? Other than it's been 13 years in the NBA. And I think it's easy for him to say, well, my calf's just not right. That's the thing that's preventing me from being Kevin Love. Right. But I don't think it's his calf. I think it's the reality of the situation that he's currently in. I think it's the reality of the kind of player that he is at this stage of his career. But I get why acceptance is really, really hard in that particular case. It's very, very hard to admit that you can't be that player anymore. You have to change your game to a completely different kind of style. And for him, like, it's hard for him to change his game into a different kind of style to be effective in a different kind of way. Right. Because he is who he is. He is who he's always been. I just think it's kind of, I think the thing that I struggle with, I think that it stinks to watch, you know, a guy who is so beloved by Cavs fans for for Mm -hmm. so long. Um, you know, then some have turned. I mean, it's 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 kind of unfortunate. Uh, just given all the lot, I I just you know maybe I do have a soft spot for him because of you know the the shared the things that we've shared. But um, just the the things that he's done for the community, the things that yeah. he's done for the Cavaliers, the things that he did for the championship teams, the way that he's you know that he's you know come into himself. I think that it's kind of unfortunate to see some fans really just. Turn on him, and I think that when when he's done, I think that'll change again. I think they'll go back to you know remembering what what great things he did for Cleveland and for the Cavs. But it's 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 tough to watch, you know, some fans really just you know hone in and eviscerate him before 
for things, but I get it. I do. I get. I get why they're upset. I understand completely. When you pay them that money, that amount of money, there's a certain mm-hmm. expectation. Yeah, I mean, I I think the way it is, Hayden, is getting on him for the things that are fair to get on him about. Um, that doesn't mean that that the fans that have quote unquote turned on him don't recognize the great things that he's done for the community, in the mental health space, all that kind of stuff. Or even for the Cavs. I mean, again, or even for the Cavs. Yeah, in the past, helping them win a championship for sure. Right. It just means since signing that contract, one, he hasn't lived up to that. Two, he hasn't been reliable. And three, at times, he's been a pain in the ass and a detriment. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Absolutely. And I get it. I do. I totally get it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, think, I mean, when I you think, have a guy like that and and he's supposed to be, you know, the face of this rebuild, the stabilizer of this rebuild, the one that you can count on most, and he's the one that you count on least. It's going to happen quick. It's tough. It is tough. All right, Chris, I got a busy day ahead. Um, but Sounds I good. I do, too. Free agency, man. Yeah, free agency. So let's uh, let's we will re- regroup maybe even later this week. Try to get some free agency talks. See what the Cavaliers do. Um, yep. Four o'clock is it? Six o'clock, actually. Six o'clock. Oh my yep. goodness! Four o'clock. I think it's like trade deadline in the NFL or something like that. Yes. 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 Okay. And six o'clock. In- Yes, yeah, 6 o'clock. Okay, well, 6 o'clock, we'll be on the lookout. Appreciate you joining us, and thank yeah. you, everyone, for joining us. And like I said, sign up for Chris's subtext. $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial. Uh, get the all the news before it happens. Get all the updates before they happen on Twitter or anywhere else. They're going to be sent straight to your phone. So Cleveland.com slash Cavs. Click the blue banner. It's a 14-day th- free trial, $3.99 a month for all of the great Cavaliers information that Chris is going to give you. Chris, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, good luck today with Free Agency. Thank you. Should be fascinating in the NBA. Wild times. It always is. There are going to be things that happen immediately because people already have things lined up. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Have a great day, and we will talk to you soon on the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. Take care.